Amen. For those of you that are new, we're not asking you to drink the Kool-Aid. We are just saying, hey, I want to hear the Word of God, and I want to hear what the Word of God says. Now, we always encourage you that I preach according to what I feel like the Lord puts on my heart. I try to be faithful to the Word. But you go home, you study it, and if it doesn't agree with the Word of God, don't accept it. If it agrees, if you agree with it in the Word of God, and, and you believe that what I'm saying is part of what uh, is in the Word of God, then let the Word of God work on you, work in you, and do its work through you. Amen? Okay, so um, if you've been around here for a little while, I don't do good with special days. I always try to do a Father's Day message on Father's Day. Never works. Try to do a Mother's Day message on Mother's Day. Never works. I try to do something uh, uh, in, in keeping with the theme here. This is what I got. So we're going to be looking at the call of Moses today. Uh, one thing I can tell you, though, if we do what God tells us to do, whether it agrees with the calendar or not, it, God always blesses that because you are following him and uh, doing his will. So we're going to be in the book of Exodus chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. Again, the title of this is called The Call of Moses. The Bible says, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Now, before I go any farther, I can hear myself in the house, not too much in the monitor. So, uh, verse 3, Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, or if you were Bubba, you would say, Moses, Moses, and that good bass voice he has, right? And he said, here I am. And he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And so I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And so he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, I'm not going to go into this this morning, but, but I just... I would love to preach on this one day where God is telling Moses, the situation that you see right now, I'm about to flip it 180 degrees. And Moses and everybody else is thinking, how in the world is that going to happen? That's impossible. How could anything like that happen? But if you were to go later on in Exodus, you will see that in the end, what God said, God brought about. We've got to learn how to trust the word of the Lord, no matter how far-fetched, no matter how far out of the box it seems, if God speaks it and God is declaring it, trust him because he will bring it to pass. Amen? Okay, so 
just a little bit of background at the time of his birth. If you're not aware of who Moses is, you can watch the Ten Commandments, uh, and Charlton Heston will give you a, a good uh, 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 introduction as to who he is. But the bottom line is uh, they based a lot of that on a biblical story. At the time of his birth, there was an edict that was issued by the Pharaoh of Egypt that all male babies were to be killed by being thrown into the Nile River. Moses was miraculously delivered and actually came to be raised in the Pharaoh's own household by one of Pharaoh's daughters. As he grew older, at the age of 40, Moses had a heart for his people. He saw two Israelites fighting, two Hebrews fighting, and uh, he took matters into his own hand, and uh, he figured that they would, um, that's a, a Texas language, he figured. He, he, um, he determined, he thought that they were going to um, see that God was going to use him to deliver him, but he tried to do things in his own strength, not in God's strength. And as a result of that, he became a fugitive, expelled from the land of Egypt where he was born and raised, and he had to live in the land of Midian. Now, 40 years in the land of Midian, at the age of 80, on the backside of the desert, Moses is tending his father-in-law's sheep, and while he's tending his father-in-law's sheep, he has an encounter with the God of Israel, of which he was a part of. In this text we're looking at today, we have a record of, their of that encounter and God's call and commission to Moses and God's purpose for him to go and be used by God to deliver the people of God from their slavery in Egypt. Now, again, as I said before, we're not going to touch on it, uh, very long, but I just want you to understand that is Egypt at this particular time was the greatest, most powerful nation on the planet. And God said, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to help you to bring my people out. And God did it. But let's look at how God was going to use Moses. First thing we want to look at is that God appears to Moses. And again, if we read our text, Moses was tending his flock and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And so Moses looked, and behold, the, fire was, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Now when the text says the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses, we're really, let's just not spend a lot of time on it. We're talking about God appeared to Moses, okay? God appeared to Moses, and actually a better way of saying this is the angel of the Lord became visible to Moses, and the Bible says how he became visible in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. Now, there's a lot of times that God reveals himself to us. We just don't always know it's God. In fact, uh, there's a, there are many testimonies. Uh, there's a few in our congregation as well. I think Doug tells a story where he had to get to a courthouse, and on his way to get to a courthouse, he was lost. And when he was lost, there was a couple of people that were asking him for a ride, and he said, well, what does it matter? Go ahead and get in the truck. And they said, do you know where this place is? They said, yeah, just go here, here, here. Led them there. They got out of the truck. He looked over, and the next thing you know, they were gone. What happened? Well, he believes, and I believe, that he was, the Bible says, we often sometimes entertain angels unaware. Right? I, I believe that God makes himself visible to us. We just don't always recognize him right? The Lord appears to us in different ways, and the Bible says in 25, Proverbs 25 verse 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. It says in the book of uh, Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. What are you talking about? Well, God in, in Moses' day was revealing himself to Moses in a very subtle way. So many people throughout history 
want God to prove himself, to make himself unmistakably visible to them, but I just want you to know that that's not how God works. God is everywhere, and if you're hungry and you're looking for him, you will see him everywhere. I see God everywhere, and I can be next to someone who sees God nowhere, and they're looking at the very same thing. There was a, a text in the book of uh, Exodus, um, is it the book of Exodus? No, Genesis, where Jacob is on his way to uh, his mother's homeland. And while he's on the way there, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And while he's on the way there, he sleeps uh, um, in a place and he puts a rock under his head and he has a dream at night. And when he has a dream at night, he sees a ladder that goes from the very bottom of the earth all the way to the top of heaven and angels ascending and descending. And he wakes up and he says, wow, this is Bethel. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. God is in this place and I didn't even know it. I can't begin to tell you how when you can have one service and you can have people in the service going, wow, God is in this place, and right next to them you have somebody else saying, I didn't even know it. Why? Because you've got to have a hungry heart. You've got to be looking to be able to see God. God wants you to find Him, but He becomes visible to people that are hungry for Him. In John 6 and 30, it says, Therefore say to him, What sign will you do? Uh, to, uh, will you perform them that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Well, he had been doing signs and wonders the whole time he was on that place, but they wanted him to prove that he was who he said he was, uh, all the things that he was doing, the miracles that he was doing, uh, the, the lame being walking, the, blood, the deaf seeing, the, the blind hearing, I mean the, the deaf hearing, the blind seeing, uh, uh, the paralyzed being made whole, all of that didn't matter to them. They wanted Jesus to say, hey, uh, this is undeniable proof that I am who I am, but God doesn't work that way. He shows himself everywhere, but you got to have eyes to see him everywhere. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was telling my dad, uh, my dad is in heaven. My dad did become a Christian, but that particular time he wasn't. And uh, he was hanging around uh, uh, some friends of his who also weren't Christians. And I was telling them that God is real. Uh, I was telling about the story of Elijah and how Elijah was in the uh, uh, call down fire from heaven. And when God called, sent fire from heaven, that everybody around them said, the Lord, he is God. And my dad and his friend, turned to me and said, well, if God is real, let him send down fire from heaven, and if he sends out fire from heaven, I'll serve him. And I didn't know what to say at the time. I was like, God? <laughs> fire? Please? Fire? But God doesn't work that way. Right? Could he do it? Absolutely. But he doesn't work that way. He's not going to make somebody and force somebody to believe in him. He reveals himself in subtle ways, but if you're hungry, you will pursue him and seek after him. Amen? So God appears to Moses. The second thing we're going to look at is that when God appears to Moses is that, is that when Moses turns aside, God calls Moses. Exodus 3, 4 through 6, when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Do not draw near to, to, uh, to this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Once God got Moses' attention, and once Moses turned aside, God fully revealed himself to Moses by speaking to him, by calling out to him. Matthew 13, 10 through 13, there's a scripture that says the disciples came to Jesus and said to him, why do you speak to us? Why do you speak to the people in parables? And if you don't know what a parable is, a parable is a story that contains a truth, but it's not always readily visible. It's not always, you've got to dig into it in order to be able to see it. 
And Jesus answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And you say, wait a minute, uh, how are the disciples going to get it if he's speaking to them in parables? But because the disciples want to know, they draw near to Jesus, and they say to him, explain the parable to us. Right? I want to know what you meant. I want to know what the truth is in there. I want to know what you're trying to say to us because I, I got an idea. You're trying to say something to me. I got an idea. You're trying to speak to me. I'm not getting it. Would you explain it to me? And when they came and they would ask him, Jesus would explain it to him. But the people that didn't care, the people that didn't want to know, they just went on their way, right? So that's what we're talking about here uh, in this passage what we see is that those who are hungry those that want to know about God and want to know more about him and what he's wanting to say to them like the disciples they will seek him for the meaning of his words some people will actually pick up the Bible and I'm so thankful for when they do but when they read it they oftentimes don't understand what it says and not understanding what it says they just close their Bible and leave it on the shelf and try to pick it up sometime next year right but if you read it and you begin to realize that there's something in here and if you're hungry and if you say to God, God, I know there's something in here, would you reveal this to me? I promise you that God always reveals himself to hungry hearts. The Holy Spirit will talk to you. The Holy Spirit will show you what it is that he's meaning and what it is that he's wanting to say. More importantly, what he's wanting to say through it to you. Amen? So it's the same thing he did with Moses, it's the same thing he did with his disciples, and it's the same thing he does, does with us. You might say it, it's just God's way of dealing and moving. It's God's way. Like with Moses, God is still in the business of calling people to himself. He will reveal himself to us a little bit at a time. But as he reveals himself to us, as we get hungry, as we get thirsty, as we pursue him, you will find that at some point God will call out to you in an unmistakable way and you will know that he is God. Acts 2, 37 through 39, when they heard Peter's preaching, when they heard what Peter had said, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. God is still in the business of calling people to himself. He calls you to serve him. He calls you to know who he is, to enter into a relationship with him, and to walk with him. Why would he do that? Because all of us, every person that is ever born on this planet, is a son and a daughter of God. Many of us, we all begin life astray from God, but God is a good father who is continually calling out to his estranged sons and daughters and saying to them, come home. I love you. I didn't leave you, you left me, but I love you so much, I made a way for you to come back home. Will you come home to me? And I want to tell you something, just like Bubba's saying, he is a good father. AJ will sing this someday, he sings this song, he's a good, good father. He loves all his children. 
But he will not violate his free, our free will. He will not make us do something we don't want to do. But if you will hear his voice, if you will understand, he is appearing to you this morning. He is calling to you this morning. I want you to know that God is waiting with open arms to receive sons and daughters into the kingdom of God. Amen? Matthew 4, 18 through 20, Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Then immediately they left their nets, followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. I want to read one more verse, and then I'll talk about this in a minute. Mark 2, 13 through 14, he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he rose and followed him. Now what Jesus was doing in these two passages, he was calling them to follow him, but he was also preparing them and he was going to give them a call for something else to do. So there's a call to follow and there is a call to serve. There's a call to follow God. There's a call to come into relationship with God, a call to know God, and then there's a call to follow after God and to accomplish His will in life. 1 Corinthians 15, 9-11, Paul said it this way. He says, I'm the least of the apostles because uh, uh, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than anybody else, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, we preach and so we believe. So what you need to understand about this is Paul was saying, I was lost. And I was worse than lost. I was, you talk about sinners, we all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But if there were categories of sinners, I was the worst. I not only, not only was, uh, I thought I was serving God, but I was actually persecuting the very people of God uh, and putting them in jail and I was killing them. That's what I was doing. And, and what happened is God revealed himself to, to Paul, called him to himself into a relationship with God. But not only that, God also called him to then go take Jesus to the rest of the world. God's heart is to bring you near to Him so that He can call out to you as well. He calls you to Himself, but many of you, all of us are called to serve in the kingdom, but many of us might have a call to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He calls us to Himself, but He also calls each and every one of us to kingdom work. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. There's nothing you can do to draw near to God on your own merits, on your own uh, 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 things that you think you deserve to be clear, uh, near to God, or you're better than other people, or you do more good things than bad things. Nothing will get you closer to God. You cannot earn your way into the kingdom of God. You can only receive it by the grace of God, by faith. Jesus did the work. We get to believe in the work that Jesus did. And when we trust in what Jesus did for us and put our hearts and put our lives into His care, into His hands, then Jesus becomes our Savior. And, and, he, and when He saves us, He calls us to walk with Him. But not only to walk with Him, He calls us to serve Him as well. 
not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship. And a lot of people get saved, and then they forget that salvation is not the, the end. Salvation is only the beginning. God call you to himself. We are his workmanship. He is working within us. He created in Christ Jesus for good works. Turn to somebody and say, I think he's talking to you. You can turn back to them. I said, no, I think he's talking to you. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that he, we should walk in them. A lot of people feel like, I'm going to church, that's good enough. I put a dollar in when the plate comes by, they should be grateful that I'm there and I'm present and I'm listening to that long-winded preacher. Right? They should be grateful that my presence is in this place. Well, you know, I may be grateful that your presence is in this place, but I want you to know it's not about what I think. It's about what Jesus thinks. God, you know, it's kind of like we saying, God, I'm here. You should be happy. You should be thankful that I'm even coming to church. But you don't realize that God is not just happy that you come to church or want you to come to church. What God is interested in is saving your life from hell. Saving your life from a destiny called hell and bringing you into the kingdom of God and then giving you an eternal purpose to serve in the kingdom and to advance the kingdom so that one day other people can know who he is so that the glory of Christ may manifest in this city, not just in my life, but in this city, and that one day we might be able to say, Jesus, here, look at what we've done for you through your grace, through your mercy, and God may be able to say, well done, good and faithful servants. So God appears to Moses, God calls Moses, but the other thing, and that brings us to this, is God sends Moses, Exodus 3, 7 through 10. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Awesome, that's wonderful. We're so thankful. God, do it. And we hear all the promises of God, and we say, awesome, wonderful, God, do it. Let's, let's change this world, just change this world, change this political climate, change the people, change the situation, change this land, change my job, do all of these kind of things. We're in agreement, Lord. And then here comes the caveat. And God says to Moses, now therefore, behold, uh, uh, the children, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I've seen their oppression. Come now, therefore, Moses, and I'm going to send you. What? I was pretty much in agreement with you, Lord, until you got there. I, I think you're, you're, uh, you misunderstood, Lord. I don't think you understand uh, that this is not the way it works. I'm happy for you to do whatever you want to do, but don't use me. You know how many people in church have a t-shirt that says, been there, done that, bought that t-shirt, find somebody else? The problem is, if God's going to do something in this city, in your family, in this community, if God's going to do something in your schools, in the government, in the, in the, in the, in the nation that we live, and we're going to say, yes, Lord, thank you, if you're going to do something in your job, then guess what? It's not going to happen without you. He's going to say, Brandon, Bobby, Anna, Elizabeth, James, I'm going to do this, but I'm sending you. What, 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 what? And that's what Moses did. Ah, bah, ah, bah, 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 ah, bah, 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 bah. 
started stuttering. That was his complaint. He started stuttering. I want to send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. As we see in the life of Moses, God called Moses to himself, but also called him to be involved with his work on this planet. It's what God created all of us as human beings to do. From the very beginning, God created humanity, and each and every one of us were created as human beings, and whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, whether it's politically correct or not, He didn't create you something other than male and female. You're either male or you're female, and that's how He created you. He said, well, I got a problem with you. Well, I'm not saying anything that's other that's in here, so you got a problem, take it up with this. Male and female, simplest thing, so simple, and the smartest minds and the brightest people on the planet are confused by that. You know why? It's because they're trying to be politically correct and they're trying to win the favor of the people. Right? Now, I don't want to not be out of disfavor with the people, but I think the best thing you can do is tell the people the truth. This is what the Bible says. We were all created, male and female, in the image of God. To do what? To serve God and to in, in partnership with God, not as His puppets, not as His servants. We are servants of God, but as sons and daughters with God, partnering with God to bring His good will, His perfect will, into manifestation in the earth. It's kind of like God said, I'm going to prepare this beautiful place for you, but it will not be everything it's supposed to be without you and I. That was God's purpose on this planet. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And he said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And you may look around and you may say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. If God is so good, why is everything around us so bad? Because he put the planet in our charge. We're the ones that are in charge of the planet. And if we were listening to him, walking with him, and in partnership with him, things might be a little bit different. Why is my family so messed up? Because you're in charge. Why is my life so messed up? Because you're in charge, right? If your life's, don't blame God. You blame us. We are the ones that are, are deviated from God. We are the ones that are not doing God's will. We are the ones that are not following his word, right? And so what happens when we get saved? When we get saved, we, a lot of people, they get saved. Again, some of you are new. When they get saved, they said, just say this prayer and invite God into your life, and you can go on doing what you were doing, but this time God is with you. The only problem with that is the reason that you want God in your life is because your life is a wreck, and the reason your life is a wreck because if your life was a car, you've been driving. And when you drive, you can't help but wreck because your vision's all messed up. You can't hear well. You're just doing things however you want. I don't want to go this way. I want to go this way. I don't want to be male or female. I want to be this. And you go this way and you get into a wreck. Right? Because you don't want to do it his way. You don't want to listen to him. And so what happens? You get in trouble. Your life is all messed up. And then what happens? You come to God and you say, God, come into my life. I like God. I want to hear about God. I want God in my life. But take a back seat, Lord. We're going to be buddies. We're going to be friends. And God, I imagine God was saying, I don't want to get in the back seat with you. How am I getting to a wreck? 
right? But that's what happens. We invite God into our life, and we keep on driving. So then what happens? Well, we say Christianity doesn't work. Why doesn't Christianity work? Because every same thing that happened before I got saved, happened now after I got saved, only now I don't feel good about it because Jesus is watching me. You see, when you get saved, Jesus is your Savior. But we don't confess Jesus as Savior, we confess Jesus as Lord. What does that mean? When you give your life to God, He gets the wheel. He gets to drive. Well, I don't know about that. Remember what he told the disciples? He said, follow me. And we keep wanting to say, God, follow me. And, you know, God don't work that way. He's God. He's King of kings. He's Lord of lords. And so if we want to experience all that God has for us in life, we got to do things his way. we got to learn how to follow him. And we got to stop making excuses because things ain't working out for us when the reality is that things aren't working out for us because we're still doing things our way. Let them have dominion. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. He's not talking to, to angels. He's talking to people. He's talking to the people of God. You're the light of the world. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. So many Christians, they want to be uh, incognito. They want to be undercover Christians. They don't want anybody to know. If you've got to bow down to a statue or get thrown into the furnace, you're like, well, I think I'm going to tie my shoes. I'm not going to bow down, but I'm going to tie my shoes at that very moment when they say bow down, but I'm not doing it. Yes, you are. Where are the Shadrachs, Meshach, and Abednego's? Where's the Davids? Where are, where are the people that stand up and say, like Bobby said, I am a child of God. I'm proud to be a child of God. I'm going to live for God. I don't care what anybody said. No, I can't do that because if I do that, I'll lose all my followers on Facebook and YouTube. And that amounts to persecution. It's a death nobody should have to go through. Mark 3, 13 through 15, went up on the mountain, called to those, him, those he, wanted, uh, he himself wanted. They came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach. So what's the purpose here? He calls us to himself that he might send them out to preach. What are they preaching? Don't let that word preach mess with you. It could be to witness, to talk about, to testify of who God is and just what God is is and going to do in you, in this world, in the lives of those people around them, right? To testify to who he is and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. I don't know if you know this, but as the people of God, not just me, not just the elders, every one of us, we have authority and power to heal the sick and to cast out demons because God lives inside of you. And you might say to yourself, I can't do it. You're right. In yourself you can't do it. But Jesus can and he lives inside of us. John 14 and 12. Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. 
Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now notice it doesn't say, go and make disciples of your neighbor. It's included in that. But Jesus thinks big. Go and make disciples of nations. Nations. We're asking God sometimes for one, and we need to do that. Don't stop doing that. But God's wanting us to think big. When was the last time we prayed for the city? God, give us the city. I don't know about you, but I'm guilty of that. Sometimes I look around and we have 60 people, we have 70 people, and I said, God, just let us break 100. And God's saying, why don't you ask me for the nation? Why don't you ask me for the city? Why don't you ask me for the state? Why don't you ask me for the nation? Yes, I'd like to break 100 people, but I'm thinking small. God doesn't think small. He's a big God capable of doing anything. And this is the part I wanted you to see. And he says, and lo, that means if you're on a plane, this doesn't apply to you. Lo, I am with you always. That's why my first pastor he wouldn't fly because he said God's not with me when I'm high God's with me when I'm low even that's brother Bates remember that even to the end of the age amen that 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 last part of the verse is a great transition to the last thing that God promises Moses as God told the disciples that he was with them always even to the end of the age God had also told Moses that he would not go alone to accomplish what God was sending him to do. He wasn't going to do it in his strength. He was going to do it in God's strength. God himself would go with Moses. And it's the same thing that God promises Moses. God promises you and I. We don't have to do this alone. The Spirit of God lives inside of us. Jesus actually said, it's expedient to me, to you, that I go to my Father, because when I go to my Father, the Holy Spirit will come and indwell you. Not only will he indwell you, he will empower you. Right? God promised Moses. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and do this great work and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, I will be with you. Joshua 3 and 7. I want you to know this is not the first time or the last time that God promises that to his people. Joshua 3 and 7. When Moses died, God comes to Joshua and said, Moses is dead. Uh Uh-oh. Who am I going to rely on now? Who's going to show me what to do? And God says that that this day I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel that they may know just as I was with Moses, the way that Moses did what he did because I was with him. The way Moses led is because I was with him. And Joshua, I want you to know that just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. 2 Kings 14, uh, 2, 14 and 15, Elijah was this great man of God. God used him to do incredible miracles. Uh, uh, that was the one I was talking about, about calling fire from heaven. Elijah did that, uh, prayed that it wouldn't, I mean, uh, prayed, prophesied it wouldn't rain for three and a half years. It did not. Prophesied it was going to rain. It rained. Incredible man of God. Elisha was his servant. When Elijah went to be with God, the Bible says in this verse um, uh, that his, uh, uh, right before this, that when Elijah went up, a great whirlwind came. He went up in a chariot, and the mantle that he used, the mantle that he carried, which was a sign of his prophetic office, that's, uh, Elijah had just got through parting the, the river Jordan to go across the other side by striking the river with this mantle. So that mantle was like Moses' staff. That mantle from Elijah fell when he went up in a whirlwind, and Elisha picked it up. And picking it up, the Bible says he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, the river Jordan. This is not just any little piece of water. This is the river Jordan. 
he struck it and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. And when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. What I'm trying to get you to realize is that that's another way of saying that the God that was with Elijah is with Elisha. Just as God was with Moses, just as God was with Elijah, God was with, with Joshua, God was with Elijah, God is saying the same thing. Okay, Elisha, I want you to know that I am with you as well. And then Jeremiah, God calls him, uh, Jeremiah 1, 6 through 8, and he said, Oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I'm a youth. Because God said, I've called you to be a prophet to Israel. And the Lord said to me, Do not say, I'm only a young youth, for you shall go everywhere I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall say, Do not be afraid of the people, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Now I want you to key that verse right here. It says, I am with you. And you say, well, that's pretty good. That's nice that God is with me. I don't think you understand who God is. I, I like to watch this, this show called How the Universe Works, and they talk, about, they talk about the solar system. And you know, to me, this planet's pretty big. And then if you were to step away from this planet, you see another planet by the name of Mars, and that's pretty big. And then you step away to another planet, you see a planet by the name of Jupiter, and that's even bigger than that. And then you got Saturn, and they start telling you how far away from the sun is he. Wow, this solar system is a mess. And then they start, and the sun is huge. And then they start panning away. And they start talking about the, the, the galaxy of the Milky Way. And I can't remember, it was like 100,000, a million light years from one end of this ga galaxy to the other end of the gal galaxy. Light years! That means you'd have to travel at the speed of light for 100,000 light years to get from one end of the galaxy to another. And you're going, wow, that's huge! And then... To get to the next galaxy, it's like four million light years to get to the next galaxy, which I think is Andromeda. And you're going, wow, God, this is awesome. This is incredibly vast. And you're thinking, wow, this is incredible. This is huge. And then all of a sudden, they pan a little bit farther, and they said, to the known universe. That's, that means as far as we can see, because we think there's more to this universe than what we can see, because light only travels so far. And there are trillions. I used, they used to say billions, but now it's trillions of galaxies. You know, why is that important? Because God says, he created it all, and he says, I hold the universe in the palm of my hands. And that God is with you. I don't think you understand. That God says, I am with you. If God be for us, who can stand against us? No weapon formed against us shall prosper. No tongue that is raised shall stand. You hear what I'm saying? When the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises up a standard against them. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Mark 16, 15 through 20. And he said to the disciples, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he does not, who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs, signs, wonders, 
miracles. People are healed, delivered, and set free. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, well, I can't do that. You're right. But Jesus, God, who is with you, can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In this text we looked at today, we examined God's call and commission to Moses to deliver the people of God from their slavery in Egypt. In it, we saw that God appeared to Moses, God called Moses, God sent Moses, and God promised Moses that he would be with him. What we want to reinforce today is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as God did with Moses, I believe God is still doing today. My question then is, is God doing so in you? Maybe you're here today and God has made himself visible to you. Maybe while you're sitting here today, God has been calling you. Maybe there are some people here today that God is saying, as I sent Moses, I want to send you. Maybe here today God is saying, if you will do what I ask you to do, I promise you that I will go with you. That same God is in this place talking to people today. If you don't know God, what a great day to give your life to Jesus. If you've known God, but you've been living on the wrong side of the, of the, of the car, you've been driving, and all of a sudden you realize today, hey, I haven't been called to drive, I've been called to let Jesus drive in my life, and you're ready to give up the wheel to Jesus, what a great day to do that. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I've been a Christian all my life and I didn't know and I didn't realize, but I'm beginning to think that I have a call to serve God in somehow in some way and I want to acknowledge that today. Or maybe God's already done that in your life and you've been doing stuff, you've just been busying life, maybe you got involved with the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, because you know that's the enemy's strategy for your life. If he can't stop you, he'll try to divert you. I can't tell you how many, uh, one of the greatest lessons I ever learned, and I'm done. I'm just going on a rabbit trail right now. If you don't like rabbits, <laughs> you better start praying that God takes that away from my taste buds because I keep going after these rabbits. I can't tell you how many people that this happens to. I've, I've known several people that are called into ministry, work in full-time ministry, and, and then what happens is they get a job outside of ministry or they get burnt out in ministry and they take a full-time job somewhere else, and while they're doing a full-time job somewhere else, they begin to realize, hey, this is easier. This is, this is, I don't have to struggle. I get better pay. I get honored. I get bonuses. I, I, I don't have to deal with people's mess. Turn around and say, I think he's talking to you. And you turn around, no, he's talking to you. And you don't have to deal with people's stuff. People got stuff, right? It's easier. And, and all of a sudden, what begins to happen, they, 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 they don't go back to their call because they got distracted. They got diverted. The deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, pull them away from what truly matters. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I don't want to be guilty of getting to heaven and saying, what did you do with what I call you to do? What did you do with what I placed in your hands? Well, I buried it underground, and here it is, what you gave me, I'm giving it back to you. And he, said, he's, he, he says to them, you wicked, lazy servant, you should have at least put it in the bank and made some interest, but because you buried it, he said, you didn't do anything with what I've, what I've given to you. And I want you to know, there's probably some people here today, God has a call on your life. God has called you to do more than just 
Jesus exists. He's called you to do more than just one day got to heaven. He's called you to serve him. He's called you to preach the gospel. He's called you to be a servant of the Almighty God. And you buried your dish in the sand. You buried your treasure in the sand. Today is a good day to take it up and say, No more, God. I'm going to put what you gave me to work.